Okay, so Aileen, thank you very much for giving up a portion of your Friday afternoon to come and speak to me. I, uh, I normally start off, um, first of all, by uh, asking about beverages. So have you brought along a beverage this afternoon? I have got a beverage, but unfortunately it is diluting juice. Uh, <laughs> it's still working at the moment. Oh well. I'll, I'll let you off. Um, I haven't been quite as restrained. I mean, it is 10 past four on a Friday afternoon, so that, that gives me license to get a beer. So I've got a beer by Firebrand Brewing, apparently they're called. Uh, I think they're from Cornwall somewhere. Um, so I'm, I haven't actually opened it yet, so I'll get it open and I'll, I'm sure it'll taste great. Um, but we'll, we'll fire straight into the, the, the business stuff then, if that's all right with you. Um, so obviously doing a little bit of research on yourself, uh, obviously I know that you... Uh, own and operate uh, this doctor lifts nutrition and fitness um, but I also understand that you are a, a practicing GP as well is that correct? Yeah well it's half correct I actually haven't worked as a GP now for the last 30 months the last shift I did was May 2019 so I'm still qualified I'm still registered but I'm not actively operating as an NHS GP I'm full-time within the company now Okay, um, I didn't know that, so that's very that's very interesting. So that'll kind of, if we can maybe just maybe cover the um, a little bit about the GP stuff first, just to get a bit of background. So I take it go, going into a career uh, like that is obviously it's obviously a huge commitment in terms of training and that sort of thing. So was that something you wanted to do from an early age? Oh yeah, well. I come from a background of um, family members that don't go to university or, or didn't go to university. My eldest brother was the first out of the whole family to do that. We found like cousins and everything else. So I come from a really small town. So although, you know, it's something I had dreamed of, it's not something I ever thought that I was capable of or would ever have the potential to do. So it was a huge, huge leap of faith for me to speak up little Aileen and say, I think I would like to go to medical school and study to be a doctor. And they're like, what so although it was always a dream for a long time it was like a silent thing for me it was something I wasn't able to voice mm -hmm. and then it wasn't until I really got my hires at school or my prelim results at school that I thought wow I've actually got the academic ability I'm going to go and do this so yeah but the okay. dream was always helping people or, or making an influence or helping them change their their health and I thought at that time that medicine would be a route for me to do that yeah okay in terms of is that something that you was everything to live up to what you expected it to be in terms of you know the helping people aspect oh my goodness no it was awful <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as honestly as possible so it's obviously a long route to be a doctor you know a lot of folks say oh so what are you going to specialize in and I say well you know general practice and oh so you're just going to be a GP and I'm like, yeah, GP is a specialist within its own right. So like med school is five years. It's intense. Like you miss holidays, you miss friends, weddings. You've got longer hours than most of the other degrees. Um, you've also got placements and things to do. Um, and then you go into your junior doctor years, which are absolutely relentless, you know, like 18 hours or 80 hour weeks working 16 days in a row this is before they changed the rota and then I went straight into GP training so I did the 10 years up front and I always thought you know when I get to the end it'll be fine because I'll be a GP I'll have more flexibility I'll, I'll have more autonomy and although it's a hugely rewarding highly privileged career 
for me, the cost of being a GP on my personal life was just too high. You know, I wasn't stopping for lunch. I was working 10, 11, 12 hour days. I would speak to patients that didn't want to take ownership or responsibility for their health. They wouldn't take their tablets. I was going into houses that, oh my goodness, you put gloves on before you opened the door. And I just didn't feel like I was making a big impact. Like it was very just one-on-one and it was really, really difficult for me to influence change with a lot of the individuals that I worked with. And then of course, there's the pressures of working under the NHS and, and the budget cuts and the protocols and the struggle to get patients seen in secondary care or, or in the hospital for their outpatient appointments and the waiting list. I just found it really, really frustrating. I didn't feel I was able to deliver the level of care that I wanted to in the short time with the pressures that I had. But the NHS isn't perfect, and I'm, I'm not here to slag off the NHS. I think the NHS is absolutely wonderful. Like, I remember somebody once describing the NHS as being like your mum. You know, she's always there, but she isn't perfect. And that's absolutely right. I think the big, big thing here isn't that the NHS is the problem. It's, it's people throughout the UK taking ownership and responsibility for their health. Like, they think they're going to go to the GP and they'll get a tablet to fix their illness, whereas most of the illness that people have now is preventable by diet, exercise, sleep, stress management, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was a long-winded answer. I can't remember what the original question was. No, that, that's fine. Long-winded answers are welcome. Uh, that means I've got less questions to ask if the, if the answers are long. So, um, so was, that where, was that where the idea for, for TDL came from then, when you were working as a GP and seeing people not, as you say, taking responsibility for their, their own health? Yeah, well... No, not really, but it's how TDL evolved. So TDL is actually four years old at the end of this month, which is pretty crazy. It was just a side hustle. It was a hobby. It was a interest that I had. It was never supposed to be a real thing or, or a company, and it was definitely not supposed to grow to the level it's at today. It started when I was a junior doctor, and when I graduated as a doctor back in 2013, so seven years ago now, I really got into weight training. I got personal trainer, started changing up my nutrition, started going to the gym. And I had never done that before. Like I was never a sporty person. Um, And to go into the gym environment was terrifying for me. Like, you know, I would have a long top hiding my bum. Like I didn't want my legs out. Oh my goodness. So to think like the the, the people that come into our program, they feel like that. And, And that I was once that, they just find that so hard to believe. But anyway, I'd got PT, got really into it. And then I noticed the effect that that was having on my energy, my sleep, my stress levels, my confidence. I felt strong, like in the gym, but both like strong mentally as well. And I was really, really interested in how I could help other women to develop that. So it started really as a nutrition and fitness company, but now I would say we're more health and well-being. So it was about teaching women what to eat, how to fuel their workouts, you know, how much carbs did you need? How do you lift heavier? How do you get stronger? Whereas we're very much not that service now. We're very much now a holistic health and well-being service. And that evolved because I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do within general practice. Um, I could do bits of them, but I had 10 minutes. So there's only so much that you can really cover and tackle. And when you've got 12 patients back to back in the morning, 10 minutes appointments, then you're straight out in your home visits. And then you've got 12 in the afternoon and your admin and your blood results and your phone calls. Like it's really, really difficult to talk to people about the bigger elements of, of health and well-being, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly does. So you mentioned the fact that you, the first time you went into a gym with, with, a, with a personal trainer, 
it terrified you. So what was what was the driving force behind getting the personal trainer set up? Was it just a, a, a general want to sort of be fitter and healthier? It was more to do with physique and image, if I'm completely honest. Like I've never been overweight, but I always fantasize about having a nice physique or I would see women in the gym and thought they look good and I was like I want to look like that so it was it was vanity really and that's how I got involved in the nutrition diploma I did I was like well what do I need to eat to look like that like it sounds really really vain and it was vain like that was purely like what I was going for and then I realized wow there's a whole world beyond this like it's not just about how you look it's about how you feel and your energy and sleeping well and, and confidence all of those things. So was that, um, I mean, forgive me if this is a, a silly question, but could, could you have, did you use your background as a medical doctor to, well, enhance your knowledge or in terms of the fitness stuff, or could you have technically gone in, into sort of start TDL and learn about the health and fitness and nutrition without a medical background whatsoever? Absolutely not, no. So at med school, you're taught very very little possibly nothing about nutrition and exercise which is absolutely crazy there are now like there's there's organizations there's one called NutriTank there's another organization called the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine like they're trying to provoke change um but everybody says you know eat eat less move more eat vegetables you know these kind of things but it's such blank advice that people don't know what to do with it so you know, then we have overweight GPs advising people to lose weight or they're going to become diabetic. And there's a lot of the health service that are overweight. 64% of our UK population is now overweight. But again, the work that we do isn't just with ladies who want to lose weight, but it's the benefits beyond the weight loss, if that makes sense. Yeah, like as a GP, you would think that you would have the knowledge of nutrition and fitness, but, but you don't. And we have two clients here at present who are actually GPs that we're supporting on this journey of change. And you would think they would have all the knowledge and skills and tools to be able to do it themselves. And all they would need is a support, support sorry, and accountability. But actually they need like completely re-educated. So mm. it's quite crazy actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if that's uh, scary or not really. The fact that you said there, there's very little uh, training given in that field. Um, yeah so here's the way i see it like people see doctors as healthcare professionals because healthcare professionals the umbrella term that's given to doctors nurses physios etc etc but they're not healthcare professionals they're disease management experts everything that comes through the door is a disease or a problem so they become very very good at diagnosing illness managing illness and prescribing for illness however a lot of the stuff you see in gp isn't illness it's like worried well or people who need to optimize parts of their health so somebody who's not sleeping well doesn't necessarily mean they have an illness or a disease like they're not necessarily an insomniac and a sleeping tablet isn't always the best answer like maybe their wife's left them or, or they're, they're stressed at work or you know there's other things beyond it maybe they could be doing other things instead of just taking that blanket sleeping tablet that would help me keep to my 10 minute appointments and get the patient out the door it's not the right thing to do if you see where i'm coming from yeah it seems um for somebody who is completely oblivious and ignorant in terms of that sort of world i um find it find it crazy that you've got to rattle through all these people in, in 10 minute increments and are meant to be able to f fix whatever issue they've got in that time it's that's quite crazy 
my biggest fear with that wasn't like not having enough time in the appointment or feeling pressured it was if I miss something what are the consequences of that mm-hmm. you know what if I do the test or what if I forget to refer that person like the fear of missing something or being litigated as a doctor is massive like the consequences are life and death and that was always something that scared me mm-hmm. so and when once you started down down the road of educating yourself in terms of the fitness and nutrition how, how did you go about doing that um, so I did a course called the BTN Foundation course, which was a 10-week course on nutrition. I thought I'd do that, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was a junior doctor. I was doing like a bazillion hours, but it was like something new to learn. And you know, all the stuff I was doing on the ward was all like work-related. I hadn't learned anything since uni. So then I did their year-long qualification. It was after that, or while I was doing that, that I launched TDL. Um, and then following that latterly I did a diploma in something called lifestyle medicine so that is a new certification that started maybe a couple of years ago now and it's for healthcare professionals to upskill them in areas of sleep stress alcohol diet exercise um, and I guess lifestyle interventions as opposed to just prescribing tablets all the time yeah yeah it's it sounds like um you mentioned you sort of wanted to become a a doctor initially because it was a you know from the the helping people point of view but it actually sounds like um you've you've ended up doing that in a similar but different way uh, and probably to a greater extent now would you agree totally however the problem lies i had a huge identity crisis this time last year when i was like leaving medicine in inverted commas I never feel like I fully left, like I am very much still a doctor, still very much practice in a medical way, but they are kicking me out of general practice because I'm not doing the formal GP type shift. Mm-hmm. But I still practice in the same way. I don't lay hands on tummies. I don't prescribe now, but I often do say to my patients, you might want to go to your GP and ask about this or what about this bit or, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, for me, it's so much more fulfilling. I see my ladies go through this journey of change rather than just seeing them in a 10-minute appointment. And the health outcomes are absolutely phenomenal. But what is different is in GP, people don't come back when they're better. They only come back if they've got another problem or if the problem doesn't go away. Whereas now I'm measuring the outcomes and I, now I'm seeing the outcomes and I'm involved and I get that feedback. So it might be slightly biased, but you know, from my observations I'm so much more fulfilled in the impact that I'm having on on people on an individual basis and then hopefully as the company grows you know more UK-wide and and hopefully one day global. Mm -hmm. Yeah so you 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 mentioned that you're 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 a full-time TDL now and you're not you're not currently practicing uh, medicine so how's how's that journey been going from as you say working a bazillion hours uh, in general practice to going full-time on your own business? Yeah, so when I finished um, my qualifications as a GP, I never worked full time as a GP. I only worked a day and a half. And the reason for that was I was doing like a hybrid with TDL just to see what would happen and really just give myself some time back. So I've never taken time out to travel. The most I'd ever been on holiday was a whole week because of shifts and squeezing things in. So I thought, right, I need some time for me. And then I actually started working with a couple of mentors and then it just took off after that. And I remember being on a Zoom call with them and they said, so when are you leaving the day job? And I was like, I'm, I, I was so stunned that they even asked that. I was like, well, 
why would I do that? And they were like, well, listen to the things that you've just said. They said, I'm going to send you a recording back and you can listen to it yourself. And I had talked about how happy I was. I talked about my work-life balance. I talked about the fulfillment. I talked about the clients um, and just saw things blossoming. But as I say, like, I don't want to leave meds. I don't want to not be a doctor, but it's so difficult for me to deliver the service I want within the NHS boundaries. And thought about working privately you know I, I know the lady who owns a local private GP practice and she's asked me to come and help her out a couple of times but I think some things would be better but then other things wouldn't like I have full autonomy and ownership within TDL like yes there are struggles I do still work a bazillion hours that's a work in progress but I now have a phenomenal team of women who support me who are thrilled who are happy within their work they've left the corporate environment like we're just like a big I call it our girl gang or TDL family. So it's really wonderful not just to see the clients blossoming, but also to give people their ideal jobs and give them that flexibility and autonomy to travel and work or, or work with their laptop anywhere in the world. So yeah, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. I'll maybe come on to uh, work-life balance uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but one first, sort of further question on, on TDL. Um, you may, I mean, I've sort of looked at your website and you've mentioned that you, you sort of work exclusively with uh, women. I take it that was obviously a conscious decision. Um, what was it that made you come to that decision and instead of just going for sort of everyone? So initially I worked with everybody who had any kind of problem, anything related to nutrition. Um, and then I realized that I started, I started enjoying working with women uh, in particular. My special interest is busy professional women who are in that job, you know, corporate job, working more hours than contracted, struggling with stress, working through lunch, you know, pleasing everybody else, seeing to their kids or their husband. You know, some of them are single, I say about 50% are single. Um, but I love the problems that they have because they're so satisfying to solve and it's so satisfying to see the outcome at the end. Men are really easy to coach really really easy to coach you say do this and then they actually go and do it but what I love is like the whole psychological impact and the thought processes and, and doing a deep dive into how they think feel and behave so we have an interpersonal therapist and a behavioral scientist on our team to back us up with kind of doing the, the deeper mindset work which is really quite cool but the, the initial intervention is getting your nutrition right making sure you're doing exercise teaching you how to still enjoy your beers or your Prosecco or a meal out or a takeaway and to find balance like we are very very focused on don't count calories points sins or macros but to be able to find balance and enjoy life you know because it isn't about sticking you on a diet and getting to a size whatever it's about being able to enjoy the time you have on this earth does that make sense Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've done various sort of types of exercise to varying degrees over the year, whether it be running, cycling, that sort of thing. And it, it, I, a bit like yourself, I some, sometimes go into a gym and, and see a guy there and think, wow, I'd love to look like that. But in the back of my mind, it's like the diet that you must have to go on to look like that for me just isn't worth it. <laughs> you know? yeah. So again, I think this is a big, big misconception because typically people who work like that work in that type of industry and eat a certain way and behave a certain way. And then when you sign up to work with a person like that, whatever you want to call them in inverted commas, then they're going to project their views onto you rather than figuring out where you are and guiding you on your path to where you want to get to. So um, I like to consider myself as being in pretty decent shape, 
but I still eat all the rubbish of the day. Like last night I had a glass of red wine and Malteser ice cream and it was lovely and it was Thursday night, you know? Fantastic. <laughs> what I post on Instagram does actually happen. So um, when you when you first started, you know, sort of the weight training thing initially with your personal trainer, um, I take it you would have consulted with them in terms of diet and stuff. Was what they were telling you in terms of diet sort of completely different or sort of very different to maybe what you would prescribe someone that comes to you that might be looking to do the same for sure yeah like the protein was really quite high the carbs weren't low but they were moderate I was told to track the calories on my fitness pal I was given a meal plan which was two days and it was very much like cottage cheese chicken breast broccoli rice whereas I'm like right what do your family eat? what do your kids eat and one of the big things I always say to ladies is you have to pick three non-optimal foods. So people would say a non-optimal food was a bad food or a cheap food. And I'm like, no, it's not optimal nutritionally. But you don't always eat for the nutritional benefit. Like we eat for loads of different reasons. So 20% of your diet, I would encourage to be these kind of junk food or, or whatever you want to call it. So chocolate or ice cream, whereas nobody told me any of that. So what happens is you end up clean eating and, and then you have like a cheat day or a cheat meal and people just go totally AWOL. So then it causes all these behavioral changes, especially within women, which is something that we pride ourselves in undoing. If nothing else, um, you've, you've educated me in terms of diet. Because I, as you say, my conception was, or my perception was that uh, for people that were in the gym and that they were muscular, were eating nothing but chicken and vegetables and that was it. Well, most of them probably are. <laughs> most of them probably are, yeah. Not, not, not your ladies that come to you. Though they won't be. They'll be. They'll still be eating the ice cream and the red wine. I'll always remember. There's a PT that was in the gym I trained with, and somebody said, you know, um, Aileen's in good shape, and the PT had said, yeah, but she must have her diet like totally nailed, and and I was just like, yeah, but like of course like things need to change you can't like live off pizza and expect to be shredded but calories are king so as long as you get your calories right it doesn't actually matter whether you're eating mcdonald's or whatever like the macros don't matter much either that's another misconception it just makes people who are calculating them look clever just a load of nonsense it doesn't matter unless you're like an endurance athlete or you're going to step on stage in a bikini then it doesn't matter too much Okay. Oh well, I'll keep that in mind. Um, I'll, I'll maybe I'll maybe revisit uh, my my future exercise and diet plan then, and uh, it might not be quite as difficult as as <laughs> I thought it might be. Um, so going a bit of a recap then of TDL journey from the time that you uh, went full time. You said it's been about a year. Mm-hmm, yeah. So how's yeah. that how's that gone? As you say, is it, has it been nothing but nothing but growth, or I take it you you faced some challenges in terms of uh, sort of maybe COVID nineteen and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, like it's a total roller coaster. We're a fragile startup company and I had no idea how fragile a small company was. Like I've got so much respect for small business owners and like I really, really didn't associate myself as being a business owner. In fact, I really hated that term. It made me squirm because NHS is paid for by the taxpayer. So like you don't talk about money and taking money from people was like such a big challenge for me. First time I took money from somebody four years ago, I cried for like two days afterwards, worrying if I'd get them the result. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. And now like we're just so far on from that. 
but yeah like there's been good times and, and tough times and big big worries with you know covid and would people be able to afford the coaching that we we offer because we are a bespoke one-to-one coaching service like we're not an off-the-shelf cheap download a plan um so i think the biggest thing for me has been launching out within or sorry out with the area that we're in because initially I got a lot of clients off Facebook or Instagram that maybe followed me already. But as things start to grow, you know, that well dries up like it's a finite resource. So you need to start getting creative with, well, where do you find your clients? You need to start marketing yourself and you need to start selling yourself. And that was the biggest, biggest obstacle for me. And it still is. It still is the biggest obstacle. Um, being able to talk about what you do and, and put yourself out there and share your client results and you know, run an advertisement and all of these things. It's, there's so, so, so much to learn. Um, but we've been really lucky and really blessed. Like if there's a tough month, there's always a really, really great month like straight behind it. And last summer was uber successful for us. Like we grew massively last summer and then over winter, it was super tough. And then when COVID was coming in, I thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Because initially you know people are losing their jobs they're being furloughed you know we are an, a nice to have service you know we're not a an essential service but what i soon found was because people's lives were slowing down it was the perfect time for them to think about their health and their well-being they had the time at home they were able to prep food they didn't have the commute some of the things had been removed from their days and their commitments so we've we've tripled actually over the last quarter compared to Q4 last month and Q1, uh, sorry, Q4 last year and, and Q1 um, this year, we've tripled in Q2, which is absolutely phenomenal. And what that does is it allows us to grow even more and, and hire the team members that we have and give the team the security that this is going to continue on. So yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled to be changing more lives. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic to hear that you've you've not been not not even you've not been impacted. You've actually been thriving during the COVID period, which, as you say, for um, services that aren't people don't see as essential or have to haves, um, that's often the first thing that they'll cut back on. Um, but I guess probably for people that you, that have been furloughed, maybe for a couple of two three months by now, they maybe have had time to take a little bit of stock in terms of health and fitness and and non-work related things and maybe prioritize that yeah yeah for sure like i we have a couple of ladies who have been made redundant and have been furloughed and they've said well this is an absolute necessity for me i have to do this now now is the perfect time i'm not going to get another opportunity like this so that's amazing but the other thing is like there was no support available to us from the government because my office is rated as the whole floor rather than the individual office I didn't fall into that category so there was no support and because I'm a director of the company I don't class as self-employed so my options were sort TDL out and make that happen or you're going to go and see COVID patients either in the hospital and as a GP and because my fiance has type 1 diabetes I would have had to live somewhere else so when the necessity gets raised so high then you just make it happen like there's no other option yeah that's um from someone who owns their own business uh, as well that that is it you, you get sometimes get to the point when you have no option so that's actually sometimes i find that quite comforting because you know you don't have you can't really go wrong you've only got one option so you have to you have to do it 
yeah. there's no there's no sort of oh well maybe you know I, I could take a step you could have said maybe well I'll take a step back I'll go back I could go to do some general practice a couple of days a week to, to pay the bills and sort of put TDL on the on the back burner um, mm -hmm. but that wouldn't that probably wouldn't have helped you in terms of your work life balance and it wouldn't have helped TDL and you possibly wouldn't have tripled your subscriptions that you said you'd done yeah for sure for sure um and if it hadn't been covid like if we didn't have this killer virus that was highly replicable replicable sorry and, and transferable then it maybe would have been a bit different so i have always had that safety cushion of of gp which is which pays a lot more personally than tdl by the way <laughs> but um i didn't make the leap for the financial reasons i made the leap for my lifestyle my family the impact the mission the vision uh, I think that's that's to me that's more important. I think, uh, and I think people are now putting more stock into how I actually feel about my job rather than bottom line, how much is my job paying me. Mm -hmm. um, so glad to hear TDL is going well. What's what, what are the future plans? Anything you can share? Future plans. So we work exclusively online with ladies throughout the UK. And the plan is to start working with ladies in the US very, very soon. We initially were going to be have or we we're going to have done this by now, but because because coronavirus came in and kind of changed the plan, it, it's been delayed a little bit. So that's the next step. Um, and I'm really super excited about that because obviously the US is a big, big place, but also it's completely different um view, I guess, on investing in their health you know we've we've got the nhs here and a lot of people tend to rely on the nhs whereas healthcare in america is completely different so really interested to see how it will be received mm -hmm. so um you sort of mentioned earlier on about you know getting out there marketing yourself selling yourself um i i assume that maybe wasn't something that maybe came naturally to you coming from a as you said nhs publicly funded background no definitely not <laughs> and not coming from a small fishing town in the northeast of Scotland either. <laughs> so how how did you obviously you've got to the point now that you appear to be doing all that stuff really well? How 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 did you make that leap then from sort of being maybe not anti marketing but you know sort of something you found maybe difficult? You maybe still find it difficult, but how did you sort of you obviously realised that was something you had to do in term in in order to progress your business? How have you gone about? changing your outlook and mindset on that for sure so um i had mentorship and, and joined courses and invested quite a lot of money in, in learning about all of these things and putting myself in an environment with other people who were on the same journey as me and that has been absolutely life-changing um so that's really the main way i did it was to go and find other people who'd done it for themselves and, and follow them or, or pay them to teach me, which has been incredible because I wouldn't be where I was today if I hadn't had that support. Is it, would it be too simple to say that that sort of putting yourself out there is is really comes down to sort of a, a confidence thing, confidence in yourself and, and your product? Oh yeah, definitely. Confidence and, and I think the, the big thing for me wasn't confidence in myself and my product was fear of judgment being from Aberdeen and surrounding areas I think people are scared to take that leap to put themselves out there I, could, I, I honestly kept TDL a big secret when I worked as a doctor because I didn't want to be judged or I didn't want to impact you know how people saw me on a professional level um, 
So I found that really, really difficult when I was training to be a GP to like balance the two, because I was, I was coaching clients and I was also working as a GP and I always wondered, you know, what happens if my client comes in and, and I'm in, so I'd always ask people which practice they were registered with because my clients were in and around Aberdeen initially, you know, to make sure there wasn't a conflict of interest. So yeah, it's the confidence is, is something that's taken a long, long, long time to develop and still developing. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's something that you're either sort of, I mean, obviously you can work on it, but I'll, I see some people, I think, maybe find it a bit more, it comes a bit more naturally to them in terms of putting themselves out there. And you say, not not that fear of being judged. Um, and I think in, probably in Aberdeen, but probably in the UK, uh, sort of wide, I think it's um, it can often be a thing that people people try to shoot people down often, you know, when they're, if they're putting themselves out there um, and it's getting into the mindset of, it doesn't, I don't actually, it doesn't matter to me if, if somebody does try and shoot me down or say I've, I've done a, you know, I've done a podcast or a, or a video that, that wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just about, I think you've just got to get that mindset of it doesn't really matter um, mm-hmm. if people say that and, and just say to hell with it. Yeah, for sure. Like people are always going to have their opinions, um, but you have to remember what you're trying to do and what your goal is and what your why is and what your mission is. And does that person affect that? Like, are you going to allow their opinions to influence whether you're going to keep going or whether you're going to stop? Like, you need to kind of put your blinkers on and, and focus on what your goal is. So easy to get distracted by other people, but ultimately it's going to hinder you and you'll just keep going round and round the roundabout and never take action on where you want to get to. Yeah, I think that was, um, as I sort of mentioned to you before we started recording, I, I used to have a, a career in, in finance um, and I basically gave that up to start a window cleaning company. And I, I didn't, I, like you, I sort of split my time initially, you know, it was, either, it was sort of four days, two days, or three days and four days, whatever. Um, but in the back of my mind, the thing that held me back probably for the longest time was people are going to think I'm an idiot if I say I'm leaving a relatively good paid job in finance to, to start a window cleaning company. But at the end of the day, I got to the point when I just thought I, I can't continue in the job, in the finance job because I didn't like it. And I was like, mm-hmm. is it really, does it really matter if a few people say, well, that he's an idiot for doing that? Or is it better that I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing? Is, yeah. that something, is that something that you can kind of relate to? Because, I mean, most people uh, would say, you know, a, a doctor, is always, it's a storied sort of uh, career that, you know, people would aspire to. And maybe people you might judge, you might think that people would judge you for sort of wanting to step away from that. Oh, definitely. Like I had a massive, massive identity crisis last year and it took a long, long, long time to work through it. And I'm still working through it now. Um, you know, like when you're introduced to people, like, you know, well, what do you do? And I had always said I'm a GP, you know, so I had to start start changing that. But um, I think the big one is family as well. You know, you don't want to let family down when they've been there at the end of the night shift when you're crying on the way home because it was so awful again. Um, and just all the pain that I went through to attain my qualification and get to where I wanted to be. But now, and I know this sounds really, really terrible, but now I see my friends who are still GPs and I, I see how unhappy they can be at times. Like some of them for sure are happy. And for a lot of them, the benefits outweigh the bad times, but it's not a glamorous career at all. And I didn't go into it because it was a glamorous career. I went into it to help people, but I have an, another option. Like I've got an alternative option, which in fact, like meet so many more of my needs. And it isn't all about just serving for your profession or your career. Like you need to get some fulfillment from it as well. So 
for this, like the, the balance is, is much more in my favor, if that makes sense. And that sounds kind of selfish to say that, but I have to look at the bigger picture because you know, I, only, I only just turned 30, so I've got a lot of years left to work. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think the I think the days of you're in a career and you're stuck in that career for forty plus years. I think that's kind of gone. Um, I think a lot of people now change change careers, change jobs uh, a lot more often. So I think it's actually it's it's a bit more acceptable to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm glad there's no regrets of uh, starting TDL and things are going from strength to strength. But we'll we'll maybe transfer into from the from the business stuff into non-business so what um you've mentioned sort of life balance a few times there mm-hmm. so what um in, the, in your in your off time what is it that you get up to what do you enjoy doing ah okay so i love going to the gym but that's not like it's not i don't go to that to to enjoy myself i go i go there to let off steam and let off stress and, and set myself up for the day but i've actually got really into walking and I was always the type of person who was like, well, why would you walk somewhere when you can drive the car? It's so much more efficient. Like when I was working as a doctor, like every single second of the day had to have something squeezed into it. Like I was working on double time. Like I would listen to audiobooks and phone people when I was driving, et cetera, et cetera. But now I'm just enjoying I'm a slower pace of life, like enjoying reading books in the garden. Gosh, I sound like I'm really old now. Um, going for walks, going hiking. I used to love the cinema and shopping and meeting friends and going for drinks and going for food, but I can't do that at the moment. But um, I don't have really any exquisite or interesting hobby, hobbies beyond kind of, I guess, the same things that, that most people would take part in. Yeah, you sort of mentioned um, pre, sort of earlier uh, that you didn't have much time to travel when you were working as a GP. Has that changed now? Are you doing a bit more traveling? not as much as I would like to so there's travel and there's holidays and they're two different things so I tend to go to a really nice hotel sit on my butt for a week and get my drink topped up all week so I'm doing that like maybe three times a year which is amazing (laughs) you need that totally but in terms of like travel and seeing the world like I've not done as much of that as I'd want to but definitely like I've got flexibility I'm in control I can I can definitely do more of that now Although COVID's kind of ruining all my plans this year. Yeah, similar. I, I think everyone's in the same boat. But um, hope, now we're sort of getting to the point when things are starting to open up a little bit. Um, I'm still, so I'm still hopeful to get a holiday later in the year. Um, I'm sure you'll be the same. Yeah, yeah. So I was supposed to go to Mexico for my 30th in April, which was cancelled. And then I'm actually supposed to be getting married in September in Mauritius, but it um, doesn't look like that'll be happening. And I've got turkey lined up in October, so I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that goes ahead. Like, uh, ho- hopefully the wedding will go ahead. That's probably mo- the most important out of the lot. Well, I think, I don't think it's going to be able to because it's a long haul flight and because of where it is. Mm. So we are lucky because we were just sorting all the finalizations. We hadn't actually physically booked the venue or our flights. We were just a way to do it when COVID started creeping in. I thought, hmm, is it, it was originally supposed to be Bali, but now they don't legal UK ceremonies in Bali. So that got cancelled at the beginning of the year. So one day I'll be married. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't put it off for too long or he, he might get uh, start thinking that you're trying to avoid it. At all costs. Um, poor Martin, what a shame, I know. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, excellent. So, um, well, thanks very much for giving up your time this afternoon. Um, it's been really interesting to hear about the business. Uh, where, where can where can people find the business um, online and such? So probably most active on Facebook and Instagram. We do have a website. There not much really happens there. Um, but on Instagram, it's at this doctor lifts, and then I think it's facebook.com forward slash this doctor lifts. So you can find me there and. Feel free to drop me a message, ask me a question. I would love to help you out with anything you need. We, we give out quite a lot of free trainings and resources and recipes. So happy to connect and help with anybody that, that needs it. Perfect, thanks very much. Uh, thanks again for your time. Uh, that's been great. You're super welcome. Thanks for having me, David.